gospel lesson. It's also our sermon text today. It comes from Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. This season of Epiphany, just a reminder, we celebrate the manifestation of Jesus as the beloved Son of God, the King who has come to free all mankind from sin and death and make us also beloved sons and daughters of God, that we also may manifest, that we may also reflect the glory of God chiefly on display and the love that God has for us and for our neighbors. So with that in mind, this is Mark 1, 29 to 39. Let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the gospel of our Lord. So I became uh, a Christian at the age of eight. Uh, That was when I was baptized in a Southern Baptist church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where I'm from. Uh, But I didn't really embrace a life of God uh, through Jesus Christ until I was a freshman in college. And in the context of that awakening to life with God as a uh, in college was uh, the context of that was a college Christian ministry, uh, which is very typical Uh, for when these things happened, Um, and it was a college Christian ministry heavily influenced by Campus Crusade and John Piper, the teachings and preachings of John Piper, and uh, a campus minister by the name of Dawson Trotman. So uh, what that meant was there was this heavy emphasis on the goal of the Christian life is mission. And after seminary, I came to Brooklyn, New York, and I came to work for this thing called Brooklyn Church Project uh, that had this aggressive mission to plant churches all over, all over the borough of Brooklyn. And so, again, I was very much shaped and formed by this heavy emphasis that the goal of the Christian life is mission. Now, an unintended consequence uh, of that heavy emphasis is that so for so much of my life with Jesus, it has been dominated by this idea that the purpose of the Christian life is to be saved, which really just means to be enlisted into this special ops ninja squad that gets stuff done 
for Jesus. That this image of God as the activist, as Jesus as the activist, that Jesus actually came to this earth to kick butt and take names, to remove the curse as far as it is found. He forgives our sins. He makes us right with God. And now we have a job to do. We have things to get done, that we are enlisted into his service to fight injustice, to care for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the stranger and the sojourner, to preach the gospel to every single person in every nation on the face of the earth, that he is at work to reverse the effects of sin and beat back hell until he comes again to finish this war, this holy war in which we are enlisted in. And there is truth in all of those things. There absolutely is. Jesus has come to do all those things. And Epiphany is part, the season that we're in now, Epiphany is part celebrating Jesus is the king who came and comes to do all those things. And that other part of Epiphany is our response to follow him in that call, manifesting Jesus as king in our words and in our deeds. Jesus obviously had a lot of stuff to get done. We see it here in the passage today. Jesus coming to push back against the darkness of sickness and evil and hell and to manifest the glory of God's light. We see in verses 29 to 34 in our passage today that immediately after they left the synagogue, if you We're here last week or listened to the sermon last week. You know, Jesus was in the synagogue and he was teaching and preaching. And they were amazed and astonished by the authority with which he spoke and the power with which he manifested. And and then when he leaves the synagogue, Jesus is immediately presented with a need. It didn't take long for Jesus to need to do something. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick, they tell him. And so Jesus heals her. And immediately after her recovery, what does she do? She starts serving. She starts doing things. She begins serving them. And by that evening, which being the Sabbath day, that was the earliest that they as good Jewish folk could be out and about. So by that evening, the whole city was at the door. Everyone who was well Able, well and able-bodied were bringing everyone who was sick and demon-possessed to Peter's house where Jesus was staying. And the line went down the block and around the corner and around the next corner and all the way down the next street. Jesus had a lot of stuff to get done, a lot of things to do. And I don't know how late Jesus stayed up working to address the needs of every person that came to his doorstep. It doesn't say Did he meet every single need? Did he eventually just have to shut the door and tell them to come back tomorrow before collapsing in exhaustion? I don't know. But what it does say in verse 35 is that Jesus makes a very resolved, very intentional, ordered decision that despite how tired he is, Despite how much work there is still left to get done, he gets up early before the sun even is up while everyone else is sleeping, and he goes off alone to pray. And it doesn't take long before the disciples and the crowds and everyone is looking for him and they interrupt his quiet time while he's trying to be 
by himself. Because his disciples and the crowds, they, they, they want him to do these things. They want him to get stuff done. We all do it. It's easy to see all the needs around us and want to do something about it. And it's even more attractive when you have access to the power to do something about it. It was no doubt exciting and thrilling to be able to heal sickness and free people from demon possession, giving people hope that their broken minds and their broken bodies and their broken spirits could be healed by Jesus. And yet, Jesus manifests, He reveals something else that is important, perhaps more important, that before all the tasks of the day are to be completed, is intimate relationship with the Father. Time communing with the Father must be primary. And this is important because it gets at something that was missing in my early life and my walk and my discipleship with Jesus. It gets at something missing in our own conversations and thinking and hand wrangling over how we're supposed to think about our work, how we're supposed to think about our vocations, how we're supposed to think about this church and this building that we have been gifted and entrusted with stewarding. You know, I get asked all the time, you know, this is all well and good, Brian. Jesus loves us. We got it. But what are we going to do, Brian? What are we going to do? I think it's important for us to remember that our work is not merely instrumental. It is also relational. Our work is not merely about taking dominion, but primarily about communion. It's about dwelling with God as he is and surrendering to that secret work of his in and through us. Work, labor, is about communion with God. It's about an intimate relationship with him. And yes, Jesus is an activist. Jesus is all about righting wrongs, putting straight what is broken and bent we cannot lose sight that primarily Jesus is a lover. And before I can embrace my role to be active in his kingdom, which he wants us surely to do, I must first embrace that Jesus is my life, my first love that rightly orders all other loves and desires and therefore rightly orders my action. It is only when Jesus is first my lover and I am full of his life and spirit can I even hope to get stuff done for him in the first place because otherwise you'll have nothing from which to give. You know, how often do you hear or I hear or see followers of Jesus who famously gave their lives, they worked themselves down to the bone to serve others only to burn out and confess that through it all, through all the great things that they did, God felt so very far from them. And for many, if you ask them, well, how is your prayer life during all that? They'd say, well, non-existent. I was too busy. I had too many things to do and to get done. You might say, well, no wonder you're burned out. No wonder you felt God was non-existent through it all. Because you got it backwards. 
God doesn't save you and bring you into relationship with him in order to make you his special ops ninja, as cool as that may sound. He saved you to be your lover. But for many of us, the reason we are attracted to Christ the activist instead of Christ the lover is because we don't really want God to have first place in our hearts and in our desires and in our loves. Because we'd rather be able to say, see God, I get a lot of stuff done for you. You're obligated to be happy with me. You have to accept me because of all these things that I do. And therefore, you must also leave me alone and don't mess with me. Because look at how productive I am. So I don't owe you anything. And God says, no, that's not what I want. It says famously in the Old Testament, you could sacrifice thousands of bulls and rams for me. And what I want is you, your heart. What I want is you, a living sacrifice given to me. So many times we destroy ourselves and labor for Jesus to try and answer that longing for life when in fact we are missing that Christ alone is our life, not our identity and what we can get done for him because Christ is our life regardless of what we get done for him. Christ is first laboring for you and in you long before and in first importance before you are laboring for him. We have to get this straight. He's first taking you by the hand like Peter's mother-in-law and lifting you up to life, not just once, but every single day. He is working for you, and thankfully, he doesn't stop, even though the disciples interrupt him from his intentionally pulling away to reorder his attention on communion with God. He gets up. He says there are other places, other people to whom he is sent to labor for. But we cannot get trapped by this tyranny of the urgent that immediately things are happening and stuff needs to get done. Our Lord gives us his own example that, yes, You'll always have stuff to do. There will always be needs to take care of. Many of them that you have no power to change and many of them that you do have the power to make change. Yes, we want to be involved in serving our neighbors for Jesus, through safe families, through children's ministry, through youth group through all the good and right and wonderful things that we can use this ministry tool, this gift, this space for each other and for our neighbors. Yes, we want to do all these things. But before all that, before we get busy with all these things, there has to be this resolve to put what's most important first. There has to be this resolve to pray. This intentional order decision just like Jesus did, to pursue our relationship with God, not by doing, not by being busy, not by meriting, not by accomplishing, but really by doing nothing. Being still, being silent, being quiet. 
and opening and surrendering ourselves to God as He is. An important lesson that I learned years ago and have been trying to put into practice ever since to try to help swing the pendulum away from Special Ops Ninja Squad is to try to begin every day, and I encourage you to do the same, that before you begin, before you, when you start your day, before you ask, what do I have to do today, ask yourself, who am I becoming today? Who am I becoming today in Jesus? Remembering that Christ is a laborer. He is. And he does so both for us and through us so that we may have communion with him. That truth is most important, regardless of what you think you are or are not, or we are or we are not, getting done for him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.